If you would turn your Bibles to Psalm 63, we are continuing our series in the Psalms. Uh, how long are we? I think we're going to try to finish out this fall. And then I'm debating on, uh, I think I'm going to do Galatians in the spring. So we're going to finish out Psalms, then move into Galatians. It'll be a fun time. All right. Now, no one volunteers to go to this place. No one. And no one wants to go back to this place once they leave. And that's the tension of this passage. The tension of this passage is you do not and I do not want to go to this place. Psalm 63 wants to lead you to this place. That's a tension. Psalm 63 wants to lead you somewhere you don't want to go, somewhere you didn't sign up for, somewhere you don't want to be. And the question is, will you survive the journey in this place? That's the question. Now, one thing is certain. There will be some times when you think you won't. What is this place? What kind of place is this? Why are we going there? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Psalm 63 does not have those nice selahs. It was easy to kind of divide up the text. So you've got to look at the ideas and find the movements, the literary movements, which is found in poetry. And we'll, we'll unpack those in a second here. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So have I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat from rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and I meditate you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life, they shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh Lord, we do acknowledge that we do not like to go to this place. And yet we're so grateful that you have this place in your scriptures. And we're so grateful that you go with us into places like these. We ask that you would go with us now, before us. That you would open our eyes and open our hearts that you would give the very things that we're looking at in this passage, that you would sovereignly, graciously unleash heaven upon us, unleash your spirit upon us in a way that is completely otherworldly, a demonstration that power belongs to you alone and not in the strength of our hearts and not in the strength of the soldier's legs, 
not in the strength of the war horse, but in the word of God alone. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, their relationship is very, very complex. Father and son relationships tend to be that way. Uh, A deep love for each other combined or mingled with the craving for mutual respect, mutual honor, mutual consideration. That can generate complexity. A father seeking oversight and influence and loyalty and leadership over his son. And a son seeking freedom and independence and an identity and status and purpose apart from his father. That can create complexity, right? Now the father, like all fathers, this father, uh, gets caught up from time to time all in himself. So this father that we're talking about gets caught up in his own desires from time to time in seasons of his life. He gets caught up in his own purposes. He gets caught up in his own agenda. He gets caught up in his own name. He gets caught up in, in his own life and his pursuits and making a name for himself in his work, right? And when he does, at this particular time, when the family needed him most, this particular father was MIA, missing in action. And while this particular father was MIA, a destructive sin blew up the family. Now the son watched his father MIA. And so the son decided to take matters into his own hands. And so the son plotted and the son purposed to take vengeance for his sister and to right the wrong for what his sister suffered. And so he bought his time, got the situation and the circumstances he was seeking, plotted, and then took the life of his own brother, the offending brother, that brought this sin into the family. Now things get really complicated in the father-son relationship. You've got a father that deeply loves his son, who took the life of another son he deeply loves, right? What do you do, fathers? Well, the son on his part, he refused to see his offense. He stubbornly refused to see his self-reliance and stubbornly refused to see his self-justification. And this became a very major turning point in his life. It was a dark, turn that began to happen in this boy's life. And what began to happen, instead of seeing his heart exposed by what he did, and then going and seeking forgiveness and seeking healing that comes from an otherworldly grace, instead he began to crave favor and acceptance and glory and things that do not have the power to give it. He started craving the glory of self-promotion and the worship and the applause of others and, and the name of his name rung throughout the kingdom, right? This son started craving his own father's throne. Now, this son had athletic, rugged New York model looks. He had phenomenal people gifts, unbelievable communication skills, In fact, he was his father in his prime. This is what his father was like. 
And yet his resume, though, didn't have the resume that his father had. He was just beginning. And so what he would do is he would try, as he was craving his father's throne, he put himself into positions where he could bump into as many people as possible throughout the kingdom. Now, if he lived in our area today, he'd be at H-E-B. You know what that's like, ladies, men? All I go is for some donuts. Three hours later, I leave. Conversations, you're bumping into everybody, right? Also, he'd probably go to Friday night football games. Mingling with the crowd, talking with everybody there, bumping into as many people as he can. And as he bumped into them, he listened. And he talked. And he recast a vision for the kingdom and new leadership for the kingdom that was different from his father's. And all of a sudden, the criticisms, the concerns, the gossip and the slander and the lies flowed freely like water from a brook. And all of a sudden, they, these lies, became the truth. They became life. They became the light of the kingdom. And just like that, hearts turned from father to son. And just like that, the greatest king, certainly in Israel's history, but probably in the history of the world, is fleeing Jerusalem, the giant killer, King David himself, as his own son Absalom rides in to force him out. Unbelievable story. Now, David is very familiar with hardship. He's very familiar with heartache. He's very familiar with people hating him. But this blow from his son beat all blows put together. I mean, this was a man who was on the run forever. For a long time before he was king, he had the own king who was not the real king, but he was the king hunting him down for years. This blow beat them all. This blow reached the depths of his soul like no blow before, since, total. And all of a sudden, this great king finds himself going to the one place he never wanted to go again. This king found himself going somewhere he didn't sign up for, someplace he didn't want to be. This great king went into the wilderness. Look at your introduction to this psalm. This is where this psalm comes from. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh, isn't that so easy to read? That's so easy to read. A psalm of David while he was in the wilderness of Judah. What you need to picture is he is going into a place where people who are cursed go. Where people where the scapegoats go. He goes to a wasteland. And that's where Psalm 63 is taking David. That's where Psalm 63 is taking all of us this morning. He's 
The wilderness is a place of personal desperation. If you look at verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, most of the times we come to this psalm and we take it as in a celebratory context. Like, oh, I long for God. Oh, I've got passion for God. This is the exact opposite. This is a wasteland cry. This is a thirst cry. In fact, the wilderness is a place where there is no water for your soul. The wilderness does not have water for your soul. So this is a place of extreme soul thirst. This is a place of extreme soul dehydration. This is a place that your soul is hit so hard with thirst that it actually affects your body. It ruins your sleep cycles. You start having physical symptoms because your soul is so in angst and soul is so in turmoil. That's what's happening here. So David didn't want to go in the wilderness. You and I don't want to go in the wilderness. Nobody wants to go in the wilderness, but that's exactly where we go. We go there when a loved one dies. We go there when a spouse is unfaithful. We go there when our hopes are dashed. We go there when someone sins against us greatly. We go there when situations get very intense and stressful. So the question, here's the point of the passage. What do you do when you find yourself in the wilderness? What do you do? That's the point of the text. It's in a question form. The answer is the power in the text. The answer is the unleashing of heaven in a very dark place. Now, this passage, Psalm 63, gives you the answer, but it's going to give you the answer in its poetic way. It's going to give you the answer in its literary form. It's going to give you the answer in three movements. So we're going to see movement number one, movement number two, movement number three. Each movement doesn't give you the full answer. Each movement gives you part of the answer. So what's going to happen is we're going to take one part and then add the second part, then add the third part. And when we get to the third part, we have the full answer. So what do you do when you're in the wilderness? Let's look at this. What do you do? Here's movement number one. You ready? Here it is. This is what you do. You thirst. Verse one again. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry and weary land where there is no water. There's no getting around this. You thirst when you're in the wilderness. I mean, I wish I could come to you and say, this doesn't happen to you when you're in the wilderness. I wish I could come to you and say, you know what? You're always going to have the peace that transcends all understanding in your soul when you're in the wilderness. You're always going to have joy. You're always going to feel safe and secure. And there are many people who will try to tell you that. And I wish I could tell you that. But this passage says, you thirst. When you get into the wilderness, you thirst. Now, I want you to watch carefully, though. Look where David's soul does thirst. What we're going to see, if we see it, if you see it, you're going to start seeing the wonder of the wilderness. Okay? Look where his soul does thirst. What's the text say? In a dry and weary land where there is no water. See what's happening here? When you're in the wilderness, you think your soul thirst is killing you. But according to Psalm 63, it's not killing you, it's remaking you. 
when you're in the wilderness, you thirst. And the first thing that runs through our minds and our hearts and our feelings is that this is killing me. I mean, how long is this going to go on? I don't even know what's going on. Where are you when this is going on? And we think it's killing us, but the, the wonder of the wilderness is it's actually remaking you. I mean, look at this. It is a good thing to realize that you have a God-shaped hole in your soul. It's a good thing to realize that you have a God-shaped hole in your soul for God and that water sources outside of God are a dry and weary land where there is no water. That is a tremendous thing to see. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when you get there that you begin to see, I have a God-shaped hole in my soul. I long to be saved. I long for security. I long to be okay. I long to be put back together again. I long for life and love and a relationship that's infinitely beyond the dry and weary land that I'm in. Do you see how how hopeful this is, how reshaping this is. For instance, so for David, and maybe this is for you, it's a good thing to realize there's no living water in your son. When he betrays you, when he turns his back on you, it's a good thing to realize that there's no living water and being successful in your eyes and the eyes of others when your kingdom and your calling crumbles all around you. It's a good thing to realize there's no living water when you're in your boyfriend when he breaks up with you. It is always a good thing to realize that there is no living water outside of a living God. Jonathan Edwards, how many of you know who Jonathan Edwards is? Hands know who Jonathan Edwards is? Okay, good, great. Jonathan Edwards, and you know, is a spiritual giant. He's unrivaled. He has an unrivaled, he had an unrivaled mind. He was an unrivaled theologian. He was an unrivaled pastor. He was an unrivaled preacher. He was unrivaled in his godliness. He was unrivaled in his prolific writing, unrivaled in anyone in his day. In fact, secular and religious historians say he probably is the greatest mind America's ever produced. Of course, till Todd Gibson came along. Right? This great man was a leader of the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God on American soil. It's called the First Great Awakening. This is the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God on American soil. He was the leader. It was his sermon that spurred this thing and swept the United States, the upper United States. This man ended his pastoral career in shame and failure. He was fired. Unjustly, unfairly, by a bunch of loud complainers and cowards. And many repented for the rest of their life. It is always a good thing 
always a good thing to realize there's no living water in a place, in a relationship, in a perfect situation, in some desire that we have, but only in the living God. So the first thing, what do you do when you enter into the wilderness? You thirst. Of course you thirst. And instead of that thirst killing us, that thirst is actually remaking us because it's, it's enabling us to look around and see this is a land, a dry and weary land where there is no water for my soul. So what's the second thing you do? You thirst for God. First you thirst, then you thirst for God. Look at verse 1. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I want you to not miss this. David is thirsting for God. This means thirst. So if he's thirsting for God, he doesn't have God. There's no water here. He's thirsting for God. He's longing for God to be near. He's longing for God to be present. Remember last week we looked at Psalm 46 and we saw that for the Christian, God is a refuge and God is a fortress and God is your strength and God is a very present help in your time of need. But what happens when you get in a wilderness, you know these promises, but when you get into a wilderness, you start looking at the word, you start looking at your wilderness and they're not matching up. Where is this very present help? Because remember, we saw a very present help mean concrete help, real help in real time. Well, where is it? You long for God to be your fortress. You long for him to be your refuge. You long for him to give you that strength. You long for it. You look at the word and all the promises in the word. You look at your wilderness and they're not matching up. Then all of a sudden you have trouble on top of trouble. So you got your wilderness. You're looking at the promises of God. They don't appear to be matching your wilderness experience. And so you get double trouble in your soul. And I know some of you are thinking, but I've never felt this, Jeff. I've never felt this. I've always felt God is my refuge. I've always felt that he's my fortress. I've always sensed his very present help in times of trouble. I've never thirsted for him. And I want to say to you, I want to say, that's good. Don't get me wrong. And I don't want you to now go looking to have the experience that we're talking about in this text. But what I do want you to do is to be prepared for when or if it does come. Because the point is this, you haven't had a real experience, a real wilderness experience. You haven't had one if you haven't experienced this thirst for God. That doesn't mean go look for one. It means when it comes, I want you to be prepared, okay? A real wilderness, by definition, means thirsting for God. A real wilderness, by definition, means longing and wanting and hoping he becomes your strength, becomes your refuge, becomes your fortress. Because right now, 
it doesn't seem like he is. Okay? Now watch what happens to those of us that have been in this particular situation. Look at verse 2. Here's the wonder of the wilderness in this movement. You look at verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Do you see it? This is phenomenal, y'all. This is absolutely mind-boggling. What's happening here is the wonder of the wilderness is it's a time. When you're in the wilderness, this is a specific time God has given you to consider him. When you're in the wilderness, it is a specific time that God has set aside for you to look at him, to gaze upon his glory and his splendor, to look at his grace for you. In other words, this is a specific time. What's happening is that in the wilderness, we think that God is far away from us. We think that God has disappeared from us. We think that God has forsaken us. We think that he's not keeping up with all of his promises. And it's the exact opposite because what he's doing is he's giving you time to actually enter into his promises. He's given you time to actually consider his grace and his love for you so that you begin to now thirst for him. He's actually given you what we all want, to know him deeper, to enter into his love for you in a deeper, more powerful, personal way. Do you see what's happening here? Remember what happened to Job? Do you remember how he ends the book? I mean, those that know the story of Job, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's just rich in wilderness experiences. And then you got the three counselors that are trying to interpret what's happening for him. And remember, they weren't much help either. But remember what he finally says when it's all said and done. Do you remember what happens? After all this wilderness experience of having everything, everything in his life turned upside down, him completely stopped in his tracks and, t- and where his heart pursuits were going. And God says no and takes them away. Do you remember how it ends? This is what he says. Before, I only heard about you. Now I know you. When you're in the wilderness, God gives you time to consider how wonderful he is for you. You think he disappeared. He's not keeping his promise. He's saying, oh, yes, I am. Here's how. He's drawing you to him. When you're in the wilderness, what do you do? You thirst. Movement number one. When you're in the wilderness, what do you do? You thirst for God. Movement number two. Okay? Now, what do you do when you find yourself in the wilderness? What's movement number three? How are we going to finish that? You thirst for God. What's, the, what's that last part? What's the last powerful part in this passage? I took my car to the shop on Friday. The reason why is on Tuesday, while driving, the windshield wipers just started going at full speed. You know, I, I prayed every casting out windshield wiper demon prayer I could think of. Flap, 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 flap. Now that's fine. That's okay because we had a lot of rain last week. But what was Thursday like? Sunny, not a cloud in the sky. Flap, 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 flap. 
On Thursday, I pull up to <laughs> Jack in the Box drive through to get some lunch. <laughs> Sunny, not a cloud in the sky. And I pull up to that drive through window, flap, 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 flap. Reach into my change deal, pay for my burrito, flap, flap, flap. And I could tell, I could tell that poor woman was doing everything she could not to look at me and then look at the windshield wipers and not look at me and look at the windshield wipers. I mean, it was horrible. So finally on Friday, I, I get a, an appointment to go into Ledford's Auto and I'm telling Lindsay the story and he's getting a great laugh. And I'm so thankful Tony was fishing that day because if any of you know Tony, oh my word, he would have, oh, he'd been unrelentlessly merciless. Well, anyhow, Lindsay has to take a call while I'm in there. While he's taking a call, I start looking around, and I'm <laughs> looking at all the stuff in the shop. And then on the, on the back wall, there's this faded sign, and this is what it says. The beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> now, if you know Tony, that's Tony. If you know Tony, it fits Tony. The beatings will continue until morale improves. I think for many of us, it fits our relationship with God. You get in a wilderness and you think the beatings will continue until I improve. And Psalm, Psalm 63 says, that's not the purpose of this psalm. Not to improve you, but to draw you deeper in his love for you. This is so radically different than what you intuitively think and feel and what your counselors are going to tell you when you're in the wilderness. I mean, look at it. What's the third movement? Here it is. You ready? What do you do when you find yourself in the wilderness? You thirst for God. And here's the last part. You thirst for God who gives you the time to be drawn deeper into his love for you. That's what this psalm is about. The psalm is a map of the wilderness. The psalm is, is saying, here's your map. Bud, you're going into the wilderness. You're going to have wilderness times. It's going to happen. And by definition, a wilderness is thirsting for God. While you're there, here's your map. You're going to thirst. You're going to thirst for God. The God who gives you time to be drawn deeper into his love for you. How do you know this? Well, look at verses. I mean, this is how it ends. Verses 3 through 8, right? I mean, look at that. This is phenomenal. As he considers God. Notice what's happening here. He's gazing at God. He has time now. He considers him. He's thirsting for him. The next thing he does, he starts considering him. The next thing he does, he starts looking at him. He's probably grabbing the Old Testament, first five books of the Bible, because the Psalms are a meditation on the first five books of the Bible. The Psalms arise out of the first five books of the Bible. So he grabs those first five books and he's looking at God. He's looking for God. He's hunting for God. He's gazing for God. And what does he say he does? He looks in the sanctuary. He starts thinking of the times when he was in the sanctuary. And he thinks of the way the architecture set up, how everything speaks of his infinite glory and his unbelievable grace. And what does he walk out of from that considerable time? Look what he walks out of. Verse 3, your steadfast love is better than life. He got it. Now he's a changed man. Oh, yeah, he'll praise with his lips, as the text says. 
He'll hold out his hands. He will carry with him this better-than-life love wherever he goes, even in the wilderness. Now, there are a lot of good things in life. You've got incredible sunsets. I mean, the good stuff of watching your child laugh, I don't know if there's anything better than that. I mean, full belly laugh. Watch your kids laugh. There's nothing better than that. The love of a husband and a wife, nothing better than that. Sunsets. And a great, hardworking, productive day. Ah! I love those days. I love walking home and my wife saying, how was your day, honey? And she can tell by the look on my face. Well, I didn't get the 40 things done I wanted to get done today. But when I do come in, I say, man, this was a good day. I got a lot done. Whoo! That's a great stuff. His love is better than that. His love is better than life. His love is better than the stuff and the fiber and the food and the pleasures of this horizontal life. Well, notice what else it is. Psalm 63 is drawing you into that kind of love, but it's also drawing you into a love that is like God food for your soul. Do you see that? I mean, look what it says in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and with rich food. Do you know what that fat is? That's the fat that comes from sacrificial meat. Leviticus says that fat of the sacrificial animal is only given to God. It's his food. It's not your food. That's kind of weird because I like the lean beef. So I'd have been okay. But back then, they wanted the fat. The fatty meat. That was God's meat. So you see what the text is saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you God food. God-like food. I'm going to give you my love, which is the food of the gods. This is breathtaking. So how do you get it? How do you get drawn deeper into that kind of love for you? How do you experience this kind of better-than-life stuff, the food of the gods? How do you get it? Many years after Absalom, there was another son of David that came on the scene. This son was a faithful son. This son was a loyal son. This son was a perfect son. This son was greater than David. This son was greater than all of Israel's heroes combined. Now Israel, for 40 years, had to go into the wilderness, remember? Forty years they had to go into the wilderness because of their failings, their unfaithfulness. They go into the wilderness, but God still goes with them, and his love still goes with them into the wilderness. So Israel, for 40 years, involuntarily goes into the wilderness, but God goes with them. His love goes with them. David spent many years prior to his kingship and probably several months at this time in the wilderness involuntarily, he didn't want to go. He did not want to go there. But because of God's greater purposes and because of his own sin, he goes into the wilderness, but God's love and God's presence goes with him. God's people today, we spend many hard seasons in the wilderness, involuntarily, 
No one here willingly says, let's go to the wilderness. Involuntarily. And why do we go there? We go there because of God's greater purposes and for our own messed up lives. We're just messy people. But God's love and his presence always goes with us. Jesus is the only person in human history who volunteered to go into the wilderness. The only person who volunteered to leave the wonder of heaven to enter into the wasteland of the wilderness. The only one. And he knew that God's love would not go with him. And he still did it. And he knew that he would have an unimaginable thirst for God that would result in God rejecting him. But he still went in. Jesus freely, voluntarily went into the wilderness because he loves you. Brothers and sisters, it's as simple as that. It's as profound as that. It's as personal as that. He went into the wilderness so that you would never, ever go into the wilderness and not have his presence, his love, his support, his strength, his refuge, his fortress, his high tower, his rockness, his soul security, an inner sense of well-being, a peace that is otherworldly, God-like food forever and ever and ever. At the cross, he had the fullest expression of the wilderness possible. And he willingly went there for you. That's better in life. Someone loving you like that, not just someone, it's not a human being, it's the very God of the universe. That's God-like food. Satisfy your soul. So what do you do when you find yourself in the wilderness? What do you do? You thirst for God who gives you time to be drawn deeper into his love for you. So what do you do? What do you do when you're in the wilderness? Look at this love. Look at this love that freely, voluntarily went into the full fury of the wilderness. So you never have to. Amen.